it's we're a week into the new year and she is we already have a theater schedule that is filling up fast i think not not only theater but uh music and uh and other other cultural events uh it's 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 crazy how the schedule's filled up well, one of the most exciting things that I'm really excited about, and by the way, that is Chaz Adams today, our, our sturdy reviewer for Pop Life STL. I will contact him at the last minute and say, can you go and do this? Can you do this? Can you go to this show? And there you are. So I appreciate that. And your insight, his insight. So we are so excited to have with us today, Benjamin Eakley, who has Look him up, Broadway database, huge career. And he is going to be here in Jagged Little Pill, which I'm really excited about, but it's only going to be at the Fox for the weekend. So is that five performances, Benjamin? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. So we're going to be there from January 19th through January 21st. Um, and uh, if you want more information, you can go to fabulousfox.com, find out all the dates and the show times there. So this is your third time at the Fox. And uh, yeah, so you were in the groundbreaking Sweeney Todd that was very steampunk back in 2007, mm -hmm. 2008 with the instruments and the whole audience. To me, what was most surprising about that was the audience was dressed up and I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, we had we had some mega fans. That was a great, great production and really fun show. Yes. And you've done that. And so now you are the dad in Jagged Little Pill, but. Mind you, this is not any family. This is a specific family, and it is the title, obviously, unless you've been living in Iraq, it is Alanis Morissette's album from 1996. And Chaz, I was trying to think, is there a more anthemic album from the 90s, do you think? I mean, I know we have Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, the 90s but Alanis Morissette really struck a chord with this album yeah not only did it strike a chord then but it's 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 lasted you know that's um you know it's not limited to of its time necessarily no and so the musical is a jukebox musical and it came out unfortunately it was right around the pandemic so that that delayed things so now it is on national tour and Benjamin you're in Tennessee yeah, we're in Johnson City, Tennessee right now. So you're going all across the country, right? Is this the beginning? Oh, we or... are. We we Yeah, we went from Sacramento to Johnson City and we're in Dallas uh later on this week and uh we're visiting all the good people with this with this beautiful show. And I hope that you have wonderful weather because uh uh you're coming next weekend so you never know. You never know. But the Fox group is hardy. Now, uh, what struck me about this is that you, this production, directed by Diane Paulus, booked by Diablo Cody, the music is by Alanis Morissette, plus Glenn Ballard, and then Tom Kitt did score. So, wow, what drew you to this show? Uh, well, first of all, um, I graduated from, I shouldn't date myself, but I will at the beginning of this interview, I, I graduated from high school in 1996. So this music is music of my time. I mean, I would be driving home my senior year with my friends and we would be bopping along in the car to the ironic 
uh, song as it came to ironic as it came on the radio, imagining ourselves in that music video where she was bopping along in the car with her friends. And so we, we also for her amazing songs, very, very interesting, occasionally scandalous lyrics, you know, everything that would pique the interest of a teenager. Um, this was very important material to us. And it is fascinating now to revisit this several decades later and recognize that A, not only as Chas said, has, has this not lost its relevance, but B, this music is so much more sophisticated and actually so much more important than I had initially given it credit for. You know, we think about like a pop song being on a radio, but here I am. I listen to this score eight times a week, every single week, um, month after month, and I never get tired of it. And in fact, I still look forward to smiling when it starts every single day and you learn and all these great songs. It's like this soundtrack um, has oddly, because of the great writing of the show, kind of become the soundtrack of of my life, me being someone in my forties, um, but also these this next generation, these kids in their twenties, um, um, who are largely playing teenagers as well. So it's a it's 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 a brilliant brilliant collection of minds put together this great piece. Well, I'm, I, that you you've sold me at uh, at talking about the album and how relevant it is because this <laughs> story deals with trauma. This isn't yeah, your uh, typical sitcom family here. This yeah, that's, that's this, yeah, yeah, that's this absolutely right. Feel good. This it, tackles a lot of social issues today. So the mom has is trying to be the perfect mom, but she has an opioid addiction. Right. And the dad is a workaholic who you play. You play Steve Healy mm -hmm. and he has a porn addiction and they have a golden <laughs> boy son. And mm -hmm. then they have a daughter who is uh black and queer and dating somebody, but the mom is oblivious to all children's problems. Is this correct? Uh, yeah. You know, I think the mom gather. is trying to pay attention to her children's problems, but is limited in her capacity to do so because of, because of the opioids. And so this is some heavy stuff. Yeah, or, it is. Um, it is no. It's interesting because, well, first of all, the book is desperately funny. Um, and like all great piece of let's say like a provocative theater whatever it is it doesn't matter if it's cabaret or if it's sweeney todd or if it's this show which by the way are actually the three shows that i have performed at the fox theater here um you know i found that in my um experience the shows that tackle I do big issues tackle the most successfully do so with a lot of humor um, because it's important to balance um, the, the, the harder concepts with a levity and a humanity so that we can actually see the folly in all of ourselves. And that is one thing that is brilliant about this show. So because yes, it actually deals with everything that you've just been talking about, but as you're watching it, you're, you're really aware. The audience is aware that they are watching an American family that is not just some like, weird, unique American family, but that this is actually the story of all of us on different levels, you know, and that we are generally, we are probably going to know somebody in our lives who is dealing, hopefully not with all these issues at once, but with at least one of these issues. Um, and um, it allows us to contextualize their suffering and our suffering and also our support at the same time. It is, it is really, it is legitimately brilliant, a brilliant um, inspection or introspection of um, resilience, human resilience 
and how we can thrive even through tough times. Well, I think audiences are are more prepared for that now in terms of because of Dear Evan Hansen and even Tina Turner's musical that was just here. It doesn't shy away from all the trauma in her life. And this deals with trauma. And I think we have, and especially after the pandemic, we have a lot of people going through so many issues. And so to find out that you're not alone. And I've always felt that Alanis Morissette's lyrics tap into that that you're not alone in feeling like you do. And so the fact that they melded this type of story with the music is great. And just as an aside, my late brother, Matt, you would not think he would be one of the world's biggest Alanis Morissette fans. He was a science teacher, a jock. He, uh, every time I got in his car, he had Alanis Morissette in his CD player. And <laughs> and I would just be like, Matt. So um, he, he died of a terminal illness uh, four years ago, and I inherited all his Alanis Morissette collection. But I'm just surprised at how many people are touched by her lyrics. And it's not necessarily who you think it is. It's, it's not, right. you know, you just think it's teenage girls, but it's not at all. Yeah. That's right. Well, you and, know, you know, we have people we have people singing along in the audience and hopefully Matt's going to be singing along somewhere else while we're singing this on stage at the Fox. And um, it is it is it, it, it is surprisingly still moving like, to this day. And it's like for those of us who experienced it, it's like we were transported back to a different place in time for ourselves. But for these new people who haven't heard it before, it's transportive in uh, transformative in a different way in that they can, well, just as we did when we were younger, you know, see their life, their struggles and recognize that we're not alone. I'm sorry, Chaz, I, I, you were, you're about to speak. No, no, that's good. That's, that's great. I, I just, and I don't want to make this about me, but I remember, you know, I've, I've never been a big Alanis Morissette fan. Uh, you know, being the the good good English major that I am, you know, when uh, the whole idea of that of irony is like, well, that's not true irony, you know, Alana. Sorry, you know that uh, you know. So I, I always, <laughs> um, but but you know, sort of my takeaway about about her though was was sort of the anger or whatever. And, and when I heard about this this musical, I thought, well, how how the hell are they going to take her songs and, and you know is it going to be like I, I don't like the term jukebox musical for because to me that's almost derogatory because i i've seen enough bad ones that that that's sort of my my implication so i don't i don't look at this but um but as i as i've looked at it and listened to you talk about it benjamin it's like you know this is it's a valid story and it, and uh her um her lyrics and that music is very applicable to to other things including that anger that i think that i that i always detected in there and uh you know almost makes me uh feel um, that that I've missed out for twenty years by by not being a little more keyed in, you know, to her stuff. But I, I just uh, I'm looking forward to this. What you know, what I, I was wondering, though, Benjamin, how, how did uh, how did you come to this material? Did, I mean, was I mean, wh wh where was your interest? And in, and you know, obviously, at one point, you had to look at the at the book and be able to feel like you know, would I even want to you know participate? Absolutely. In yeah. Well, first of all, um, they uh, when this tour uh, was being organized, they they actually called to check my interest and availability, which is always a good sign. It means that you are on their radar to begin with, and that they sense that this is a good fit. But just like you said, I always you know insist on you know before accepting an audition, I want to read the script, I want to see um, the journey that this character is going through, um, uh, because as you know, it's a big sacrifice for all of us to move away from our homes, from um, uh, our family 
families, for community, friends, you know, for a year to tell a story. So for me, you know, I want to make sure that it's a story that I feel is 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 worth telling and also worth exploring on an intellectual level um, mm-hmm. from performance to performance, as well as a musical level. Um, and so I read the script and just like you, I had reservations just by this concept of this, you know, jukebox, which, 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 you know, concept, which, which, which I too associate with something that is a little bit less than, however, I read this book and almost fell off the chair because I realized, well, first of all, it, I identified um, in a lot of ways about with this man, his relationship and the life that he's trying to build versus the life that he has. So it spoke to me on a personal level. Um, but also, uh, I think uh, getting back to Lynn's earlier point about the people who put this together, there is a magical combination of talent that put together this show. And so Diane Paulus, our director, is arguably, you know, our great visionary working in American theater right now. Um, so uh, this is my first time working with her and I was thrilled for the prospect to be in the room with her and and be on my feet with her and um, explore how she approaches a text, you know, a scene, a character. Um, secondly, Diablo Cody, who wrote the book, won the Academy Award for writing Juno. Um, this was her first book of a musical ever and she won the Tony Award for this. So she is batting 10,000. And you'll see when you see this, like, you will actually laugh and gasp in, the, you know, in, um, in, 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 in close session, but it's not a spoiler alert. The ironic dilemma is tackled head on in our show. And I expect you in particular to laugh very loud when this happens, but everybody else will be as well. So it's, it's done in a brilliant way. So uh, that's Diablo Cody. Um, uh, Alanis's music is true in the context of these orchestrations by Tom Kitt, who is a spectacular um, and very important composer as well as arranger in his own right. So we have we have an embarrassment of riches who got together to create this piece. And you actually really get the sense, not that you're watching a song catalog of an artist, of a particular artist or Alanis's personal journey, but you really get the sense that you're watching the story of the Healy family and how they move through their world. And the last thing I will um, mention is that the choreography in the show is unlike anything you have ever seen. Um, And um, uh, the choreography is based on something that is not traditional theater um, storytelling, but a more of, let's say, uh, hip hop slash modern dance take, which aims to express the inner conflicts of these characters through movements in parallel to the actor who is doing them. So you will see um, um, most of these principles have an actual avatar, another actor on stage who comes up and will dance around them. And 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 these 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 motions are not traditional kind of drone robins type, you know, you know, balletic movements all the time. They do go there, but it's just when I saw the show for the first time, um, uh, which is when I joined the tour. Um, I was actually a little nervous because I thought, oh God, I'm going to do this for a year. You know, I really hope I like it. I know I like this music. I know I like this score. I know I want to work with this director, but I sat in the theater um, at the Hobby Center in Houston and my jaw was on the ground. And I was like, I cannot believe that I'm, I get to do this every single day uh, for a year. It's a gift. Well, that I, I'm so happy that you said that because of the all the things that I've seen about this, uh, it, it has so much joy to it even though it, because it is about healing and pain and empowerment eventually. And uh, I have often quoted Gloria Steinem this year uh, in the healing is in the telling. 
So I think that especially, uh, and I don't even think we're post-pandemic. I always say like post-vaccine pandemic, you know, but uh, I really do think it's important at this time. And maybe it's an important time in, in, uh, in our nation for you to come here. Because I remember when you were here in 2017 for Cabaret and I looked at uh, my, my friend that went with me because that was a very perilous time in our country when you were here in Cabaret. And we just looked at each other like, oh, my God, this is so present. This is so this is so cautionary tale for today. It was eerie how it was. So so maybe Jagged Little Pill is going to have a little bit of that to us, because I do think um, so there's so many broken people and we haven't kind of contextualized it during the pandemic. They called it disenfranchised grief. Mm. Mm. And. And I, I, I've really kind of held on to that the last couple, like processing that, like how do we feel and everything. But every time I look at a picture from Jagged Little Pill, the musical numbers, I see this joy. I see this energy. And you're probably around a lot of young people that that energy is infectious. Yeah. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, it, 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 it absolutely is. The interesting thing is they're young and also super mature and at the same time. It's actually the best of all worlds. So, you know, now, you know, I've gotten to the point of my career where I'm like, you know, one of the senior, senior states people in the cast, which I honestly didn't think would happen this soon, but it has happened and I'm accepting it. <laughs> um, but um, group of, uh, I mean, they are kids, young adults. It's like listening to Americans, they make you laugh and then they make you cry. And you're like, how is it possible that one person can do all this? And then there are like 17 of them who do it. <laughs> Each one of them does it individually. You're like, how is this possible? But it, it is. And and you're you're just like, how did they? You know, don't, no, it's 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 just endlessly fascinating to me how how I love to see the world through young people's eyes. How yep. they how they think and how they how they do that. Oh God, yeah, that has been a real gift for me too. Because of course, like we hang out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're they're like, and and to get these young people's perspectives, you know, at the dinner table on it, it's it's very interesting because all you know, twenty years ago, we all might have thought the exact same way, but just because of these generational differences, these young people, some of whom come from the same world I do, some of whom don't, um, have in some ways surprisingly different perspectives from the one that I have, and that has been a gift to kind of be enlightened and have my own mind expanded by the concept of like, oh gosh, you know what? I actually did see the world um, in, you know, you know, either i mean i hesitate to use the word the word like the phrase black and white right now but 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 for for the sake for the lack of like a better parallel right now and and to understand like all of the not only the beautiful grays that are in between but also the the this this spectrum of color in which we can look at any sort of issue it doesn't matter if it's you know social or political or personal it's just uh, these the, like Walt said these kids contain multitudes and they're not ashamed to let us see it. It's really, really inspiring. It is. And as long as you're going to talk, you're going to bring up Diablo Cody. If you have not seen the movie Tully that she wrote, directed by Jason Reitman, put it on your list. It's Charlize Theron. Um, Lynn, not only have I seen it, but my cousin, who is the other black sheep in the family, Annie Sundberg, 
produced it. Oh, oh. how wonderful. <laughs> and Annie is a documentary filmmaker. And uh, it is funny because I haven't met Diablo yet. I cannot wait to meet her. Um, uh, but, uh, but I actually embarrassingly forgot about that connection. And you're right. The, the, it is absolutely brilliant. It is. And I don't know why it didn't go anywhere because what it says about parenthood is so huge. And then Mackenzie Davis, that was the first time I recognized her, even though she had been things in Jason Reitman in St. Louis. He is, uh, he made the movie up in the air here and we love him because he yep. loves St. Louis and that, but you get to, you get to tell all the young folk, you get to tell them about going to city museum. And and you get to take them behind oh, the, yeah. sta- the behind the stages at the Fox and point out all the legends that have been there, you know. Abs- absolutely. Also, take them on a culinary tour of the city and uh, oh. just an architectural tour as well. I mean, honestly, I think St. Louis has everything everything going on. So you grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up about twenty miles west of New York uh, in a kind of nineteenth century suburb, and so that's why a lot of the city, especially the residential, um, uh, as, uh, the, the residential areas outside the city center, really remind me of home. Seeing these kind of Victorian homes and kind of like you know, and and the trees, that the topography is very similar as well to where I grew up. What was your very first uh, role? When, what, what when when you got out of Yale? What was your first? moment where you were like i made it uh oh well you know that's interesting uh so when i got out of school my first show was a production of merrily we roll along at the fringe in edinburgh and we went that summer and it was amazing you know we kind of busked on the street and tried to get people to come see our show and and kind of did it all ourselves we got to rehearse at cambridge in england and then go up to edinburgh and it was just that was a dream but quite honestly um you know, making it is such a tough concept because, you know, I think for all of us, no matter what the industry is, you know, security is never really there to the extent that kind of we maybe expect it to be as children, right? Um, but I think that the first time that I um kind of thought like, oh, you know, maybe this is going to be okay. I actually got cast on my first Broadway show and my first feature film in the same week. And the show was Sweeney Todd with Patti Lapone, uh, directed by John Doyle. And the film was called The Good Shepherd and was directed by Robert De Niro. And, uh, you know, I was considering going to law school at the point. I actually had to make a decision about whether or not wow. to go. And literally these two things happened at the same time. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is the sign that I should, you know, stick it out a little bit longer. But of course, like I grew, you know, I would have a crisis every every couple of years growing up. So, you know, over the years, you know, I wound up applying to business school and architecture school and once for a music PhD, just because I felt that, you know, you know, maybe we should have these prescribed paths. But actually, every time I applied to a different grad program, I booked a Broadway show. So um, my friends now tell me like, hey, if I'm ever in a little bit of a career crisis, that's I know what I need to do. just, you know, get, oh, now find another program to apply to, which is getting harder and harder the older I get and the more I've applied to. That's no, I love those stories. I always, uh, when, when I used to, I used to write a lot of, of like, for, for instance, like you, I would have written a story about, uh, your journey for the Belleville News Democrats, the local daily, but they now newspapers, they're just different. They don't have me do the people at the Fox anymore because you can get that somewhere else. Yep. Yep. And it's not the same. It's not the same. And it's it's actually sorely missed from the audience perspective. I mean, actually, we need it. We need it. And, you know, people should not be 
counted upon to produce their own content because we have to take all of that with a heavy grain of salt, right? So it's it's more important than ever to actually have objective sources who are you know interviewing and it's just it's 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 a sad loss. It is very sad because you don't get that. But I love talking to people on tour because I I you get the people that are very seasoned and understand hard knocks. And then you get the up and comers that maybe they just got off of a cruise ship that they've been going up and down the coast in. And now this, now they're on tour and they're so excited about it. I just love the energy of performers because it is really hard and you don't know if you're going to be working in six months. You you just don't. Right. And that's the life that you trade, but it's interesting to talk to veterans and, uh, Especially you, you got, she loves you and you have merely real long. And then, I mean, you have some of the great productions of all time. Yeah. I've been really, really lucky. And I've actually been done a fair amount of Shakespeare too, you know, in between all this stuff. And, and I, um, you know, I, we, we can't, we can't prescribe, you know, where our, our careers are going to go. And, you know, I kind of thought early on, I wanted to be in the singing, dancing productions of Oklahoma with the exception that I don't dance, which I think kept me out of those, like, which you'll see, which you'll see when in my limited moment of choreography and Jagged Little Pill. But, um, but, uh, but I've actually been lucky that for me, at least, um, it's been the kind of like bigger, heavier, darker pieces, which is great because there's so much room for catharsis in all of them for the actor and as well as the audience. Oh yeah. So, do we need to bring Kleenex in our to our in our um, um egg? Yeah, yeah. But like, there'll be good tears. There'll be bad tears, but then there'll be good tears. You know, like so. So two two Kleenexes. You know, you know the you know when it hits you when you don't expect it, and then the release. Aha! Uh-huh. Because for dear Evan Hansen, I was prepared, and uh, and I I just yeah let it go. But even mm-hmm. come from away was just here for a weekend uh, in October, and I just I had the tissues out like the whole. Oh, yep. I I tend to do that, but that cabaret. Uh, uh, now that you know, as soon as you said that you were here for the fox, I go, oh, that's the one. But it builds yeah. on we- to me. It builds on Sam Mendes's genius. It does, directing. and he is. He is. He is. <laughs> there, I mean, I've actually been very, very, very lucky. Diane Paulus, Sam Mendes, John Doyle, Robert De Niro. I mean, the list, the, fortunately for me, kind of goes on and on, these directors I've worked with. And um, that production is a great piece of political theater. It was a, a transcendent production. Um, and we also got to tour that during an election cycle. And like you, I actually thought, oh, I will never have an experience like that again, where I am... Um, touring with something that is so immediately relevant to the audience's day-to-day lives. Um, and I thought that was it. But here we are in Jagged Little Pill. And quite honestly, it's the same story. It's a different situation. But um, once again, I think it just proves that it's a piece of a piece of great art. And in this case, it had a, a, a less of a life on Broadway because the pandemic, unfortunately, shut it down early on in its run. But it was, I think, the most nominated... Um, one of the most nominated musicals in Tony Ward's history. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I do believe that it would have been open a lot longer had theater not shut down <laughs> when it did in 2000, in 2020. Oh yeah. So, that um, was, yeah. One of the Go things ahead, that Justin. I noticed when I, when I uh, reviewed the Fox or, or other places, I, I kind of get the, um, 
what you know, sort of what I would consider the the reluctant suburban white middle aged male that's going because his wife or significant other brings him here. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, from your perspective, you know, like how how would how do you how would you uh, describe this show for somebody who might be like, oh my God, Alanis Morissette, or what? You know, what, what, why should they come? Great question. Um, so these guys that you've just been describing are the people who are actually walking out of the show, kind of humming these tunes and also coming up to me at the stage door and other people at the stage door being like, man, I really enjoyed that. I didn't think I was going to like this at all. And, you know, it is just, there's something in it for everyone. Um, also, side note, I had someone, a, a, a very nice woman come to me in Sacramento last week. There's a, there's a very funny scene at the top of the second act where my wife and I are in therapy together for the first time. And uh, this this wonderful woman came up to me in kind of a hushed whisper and said, hey, we're going to therapy. This guy over here and I are going to therapy next week for the first time. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, your show made me think a lot. And I was like, listen, please, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> you know, but I, but, I, but I honestly think that it doesn't matter if it's the music or the scenes. Um, there's going to be stuff that takes you by surprise. Um, and because I think that a lot of the audience is going to be a lot more familiar with the material than they think they are. You know, even if they don't didn't have the album Jagged Little Pill, I, for example, did not have the album. I loved the songs that had music videos that were on the radio, um, but I knew a limited um, amount of the music before doing this production. And still, I saw this show for the first time and it was like, it was as if I knew everything because I felt like I understood these characters. So um, I think that, A, I just think that these guys are going to really like it. Secondly, um, the people that they bring to this show are really going to like it. And I think it'll go a long way as far as kind of, you know, brownie points and like good karma uh, in those relationships paying forward. Well, I also uh, know that it has an activist bent, you know, like young mm -hmm. people getting there. And I think that that has that can't be said enough in this day and age that you have to speak up and you have to get there over the voices. The, uh, you know, that phrase squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know. And yep. uh, so I think that's another good aspect of this is that it's just firing up young people um, to not be passive to not sit on the sidelines because that's another thing. People aren't talking to each other like they did. Everybody's right. on their phones. There's that one picture where everybody's on their phones. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, and I thought that's what we're all trying to say, connect, look, you know, have some connection yeah. with people. But yeah, I hope, I hope that the naysayers, because I know this too, you, you go to something and you're like, I don't know. And then you come out and you love it and you're so surprised yep. and, and, and you're so happy. So it's, it's good. Well, it's so delightful to talk to you. I'm so happy when I saw that, um, you know, I just am never picky about, you know, like, Oh, can we get somebody? And, and so it's, thank you for your time. And I know you are a busy person, but this has been delightful. I, I it's absolutely mutual. Lynn, such a pleasure meeting you, you as well, Chaz. And um, now I'm going to book it to the theater, but in the meantime, thank you for making my morning. I, I'm really, really excited to be uh, in St. Louis. And once again, we're going to be at the Fox from January 19th through 21 and uh, people can get tickets at fabulousfox.com. So Chaz, you saw the, the touring production of To Kill a Mockingbird again, because it's Broadway at Stiefel as part of a agreement with Fox. So they are only here for January 9th and 10th. So how was the production with Richard Thomas? 
So it was, uh, it, it was terrific. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I, I was wondering, uh, you know, having seen it, well, I think it was in February uh, early this year, which was, you know, I mean, it was a great experience. And I thought, well, can that be replicated or, you know, are they going to come in? Is, is it going to look tired or, or something like that? And uh, I think to the credit of Sorkin script and this production, I mean, you know, this is sort of like watching Titanic, you know, you, you know, the ending or whatever. So, you know, like, but, but I, um, the, I, I appreciated the second time how much more uh, nuanced uh, the, the, the little, little moments in the production were uh, even the actors, um, you know, I, I'm terrible with names, but uh, the actor that, uh, that, that plays the, uh, plays Tom, the, 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 the convicted guy, uh, you know, to, to be able to, sit on that skate stage and cry authentically, you know, night after night. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it would be nice to be like, okay, th these are the three top people that I think are in this production, but like, you know, the, the depth of, of the bench, so to speak of, of uh, on this thing, everyone's excellent. And they, they were the second time around and it allowed me to, to focus on some other things that I did in the first time. I have your review up here that you did for pop life STL. And uh, because remember, I had seen it before, and so you did the review. Now, uh, Melanie Moore as Scout, Justin Mark as Jim, Stephen Lee Johnson as Dill. Remember, we were we were kind of worried about their accents there. How were they this time? Have they softened or? You know, I think they were nothing. Nothing stood out when you know from last night that I was like, oh yeah, I would. You know, I, I wasn't like, oh I, oh, I remember the accents were were a problem, but I, I just uh, no. Um, and you know, and I'm sensitive to that because I'm 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 kind of a southern boy at, at heart, and in, in a way, and I and I get a little um, tired of uh, you know, su quote unquote southern accent, uh, you know, in in popular culture and film or whatever. I mean, you know, the 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 amount of of, uh, of variations within what we would consider a southern accent is, is so broad and I, I and it gets flattened uh way too often for you know whether it's you know films or uh or you know stage productions or whatnot but uh no I, it was uh it, it felt more uh more seamless last night yeah the um because you mentioned it in your review uh calpurnia jacqueline williams and I'm trying to find where you list. And you said really good things about um, Richard Thomas. I thought he was fine. I was. I had to. I had the opera. One, one of the the um, you know stack of we still watch DVDs. You know when when we're not streaming and, and but there, you know we're, now that we're post holiday. But there's always some films that, that are in the stack that, that I wanted to see. And, and in, in that in, in my rotation, including this year, was uh, uh, The Homecoming, which was kind of the um, Richard Thomas. That was sort of the, the first episode of The Waltons, in a way. It was, a, you know, the movie, um, Two Hours, which is you know, it's interesting to look at, you know, him as, a, um, as an actor and his progression from from that, um, you know, which he in which he was excellent. And, and I think of... Uh, uh, the latest episodes of Ozark, he was in those, and and now this. I mean, I I, uh, I have a lot of respect for him uh, in his career. And the next thing, the Fox is going to be coming fast and furious because we have Jagged Little Pill, January nineteenth, twentieth, twenty first, 
And then we have Funny Girl, January 23rd. Which I think I'm going to be reviewing. So I'm going to be there with my sister. My sister's in town to help take care of her new grandbaby. Mm. So we will have that. Uh, we will have that 60s. I mean, you know, funny, to be honest, funny girl is not that good of a show. Yeah. It's more for the reputation and the songs, but the show itself. So I'll be anxious to see this new adaptation of it. Because there's a reason people haven't done it for a while. You know how the shows <laughs> that are always done. Right. And then there's the shows that are never done. There's a reason, you know, that they are. Well, I've been in serious awards mode, film awards mode. And uh, we just got done with all of our top tens and bests of. And uh, now the first award season came with the Golden Globes on Sunday and the Critics' Choice Association Awards are this Sunday on the CW starting at 6 p.m. And I turned in my ballot last week, so I'm eager to see if I'm on a par with my colleagues in the film categories because I don't vote for the television categories because if I had to add TV to everything I need to do, oh. <laughs> I would never sleep. So I, I cannot, but I did start, oh, Harrison Ford is going to get our Lifetime Achievement Award, but I guarantee you that our awards every year and our nominations are a better harbinger of the Oscar nominations than any of that Golden Globe jazz. Mm. And uh, our host is Chelsea Handler. And she did it last year too. And she will be better than Joe Coyne. If you watch that show, because that wasn't a good award show on Sunday, even though I was happy to see certain people win. I hate poor things with a white hot passion. And I will debate anybody about it anywhere because it's sex with a child and I'll leave it there. But I was really happy about Barbie got screwed. But I was really happy about Oppenheimer because I do think Christopher Nolan is a genius. And people go round and round and round about his movies. But you gotta, you cannot deny what an epic technological uh, accomplishment Oppenheimer is. I was riveted yeah. for three hours. Which I think speaks to, to, to Nolan's genius, to your point. I mean, the fact that people are passionate and keep talking about it, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think if anything, that's a a very good indication of, of you know, uh, of the depth of uh, the material that he works with. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the people he gets to be with him, that cast, that cast of Oppenheimer, Killian Murphy, and then Matt Damon. Matt Damon is always good. And he's always like overlooked, like, oh, Matt Damon. But he's mm -hmm. so great. And Robert Downey Jr. is chilling in that movie. I was trying to figure out who Albert Einstein was. I could not figure it out. And then I looked it up and it was Tom Conti. And Gary Oldman is Harry Truman. And then the Senate hearing people, Tony Goldwyn and Jason Clark. And there's Alden Ehrenreich. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Benny Safdie, you know, Josh Hartnett. I was like, where has he been? And he's in Oppenheimer as a scientist. <laughs> I was like, okay. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I was skeptical about Barbenheimer and... I well am the first to admit I was wrong. 
people did go see both people the fact that people went to both of them sometimes in the same day yeah <laughs> i don't know i've seen barbie three times and i love barbie so much and anytime that somebody says oh, i'm not seeing a movie about a doll i just go ballistic it is not about a doll it's not just about a doll i should say it's not just about a doll it's female empowerment and ryan gosling his comic timing that ken roll could have been just but he makes it so good when he's like, I do beach, not lifeguard. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I was, I'm one of those skeptics. Uh, I wouldn't have said I wouldn't go see a movie about a doll, but I, I haven't seen Barbie. But, I, you know, but, but I, you and I have talked uh, a couple of times and that's, that's uh, you know, your your passion for that. I mean, it is, a, um, you know, enough to win me over to, to watch it. So I, I will. <laughs> and I look very forward to hearing what you have to say about it because, yeah. um it is very special. Everything about it is special. And uh, the fact that uh, they go all in on the different, uh, every time you watch it, there's more. Like uh, it's on Max now. So I, I watched it again. And Ryan Gosling comes back from the real world where men rule. And he was like, if I, if I would have had a couple initials behind my name and, uh, and uh, medical, a medical school, swim lessons i could have ruled that world yeah <laughs> like it's kind of like the the line in legally blonde when uh reese witherspoon gets in harvard and everybody's shocked. she goes what well, is that hard <laughs> is that hard <laughs> <laughs> so ken's like oh mba hmm. I went that, you know, and it's just hilarious. He gets, he gets so excited because in, in Barbie land, he's just Ken, but in the real world. And then Will Ferrell as the Mattel chief, when he's like, oh yeah, we had a female executive. When was that? Like a, like 10 years ago, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just comic genius, comic genius. And the script is so smart. And it just has these little teeny things and it's just, and it's silly and like childhood, like playing with dolls, like uh, the way Barbie eats and the way Barbie moves. It's like kids playing with dolls, but it, it's, you just have to see it to believe it. But a thing okay. that I'm really grateful to see because I don't traditionally do TV, but I'm on the CCA women's committee and we get access to some television programs and so i watched the first episode of true detective night country which premieres oh. on hbo sunday i am so so psyched to see that oh man so i'm on episode two and um whoa jody foster whoa and the you know how the first season the true detective was just genius mm -hmm. yep so good the second one i was with it but it was weird i didn't see the one with mahershala ali did you did you see the yeah, one I've with him all of them, yeah. I, I missed that one and then this one is set in ennis alaska right oh the first episode i'm just totally hooked now 
but it it will make you really chilly because it's really chill. they filmed this in Iceland. Well, but but yeah, I think no, I'm, I think I'm, I'm I'm psychologically ready for it. I you know I uh you know one of my guilty pleasures was was The Crown. I loved watching The Crown, and I, I actually was very sad to see the, the last episode. Although it was it was it it ended where it should have, so it, it was good. But um, um, that, that was chilly in a different way, I think. But the, yeah. the winds. Is... <laughs> well. When I got done with movies, I was like, okay, I got to get back to Fargo because I did watch the first episode of season five and John Hamm's great and Juno Temple's really good. Yeah, she is. In, in it. And so True Detective, this one's kind of reminded me of Fargo with the, with the stillness of the snow and the mm. evil when it's, you know, this natural, pristine beauty and then there's all this evil. Yeah. If you've ever seen Scandinavian thrillers, it reminds me of that. Like it's such a beautiful country, but there's all this sinister stuff going on. So I wa just finished watching. Uh, what was it called Murder at the End of the World? Uh, and that that was set in a in um, Finland or I, I or Iceland. I forgot where, but it was it had a lot of that Arctic um, snowpack and um, you know evil across the hill kind of uh, kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very it's very very interesting. Well, I hate to cut this short, but I gotta yeah, I gotta, we gotta go. I gotta go. You too. Hey, thanks. 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 Thank you. Take Talk care. Soon. Bye.